All right, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is episode 25. Um, I had so many messages sent to me from my last episode where Jason was across the table from me that I decided to have him back again. So Jason again fills the chair across from me uh, to counterpoint everything. It's a good show. Um, I wanted to cover something in this kind of preamble uh, that gets covered in the second hour over on, actually it's more than a second hour, it's almost two more hours um, on Crow Triple Seven Radio. So there's an hour here and nearly, I think it's nearly two hours um, on the stuff running on my website, crow777radio.com. But anyhow, uh, it's about celebrity. We get into this in the second hour in a big way. But the idea of celebrity as almost agents of the system, not even almost. Uh, Recently, Anthony Bourdain, who is now on CNN, having moved from the kind of small channel that he began on, the travel channel or whatever it is, was doing an episode from northern Vietnam and Hanoi. We can all remember the controversy of, you know, Jane Fonda showing up in Hanoi to rattle everybody's nerves and get the football punted back and forth. Um, celebrities play such an integral role in, uh, in culture and everything else, even news, all of it. But Bourdain was in Hanoi, and he went to that place in Vietnam, everyone's familiar with, only place in the world that looks like it, with all these sharp, tall rock islands poking out of the water. There's a thousand or more of them. People will remember back to the James Bond film, Man with the Golden Gun, because Of course, that was shot there, or part of it was shot there. But as he had his big private steamship with him and his friends on it going through this area, there was music playing in the background, and I kept thinking to myself, I know that music, I know that music, and then it struck me. Of course, it was the James Bond theme music. And we see this kind of underhanded poke in the eye from celebrity um, as, you know, international intrigue, agents of the system, and this kind of thing. But be that as it may, as the episode went on, sure enough, President Obama shows up in Vietnam to sit down for a bowl of pork noodles with Anthony Bourdain. Now, we get into this a lot more in the second hour, but I wanted to point it out. Um, So much of what goes on is done in front of our face, and I've said it so many times, Serious endeavors do not cross over into the sphere of entertainment. They just don't. Entertainment is for something wholly different than serious endeavors. And when we see people like Bourdain playing up the James Bond theme, uh, being in northern Vietnam, which was once a place that was off limits to everybody, has a history of its own as far as celebrities concerned, and the President of the United States shows up there, um, it tells you something. It tells you something about celebrity, and it tells you something about politics and uh, the people who are supposed to be governing us. Anyhow, this is a really good episode, and in the second hour, we talk a lot more about Anthony Bourdain and, and these ideas that I just put forward. Alex Jones, we talk about agents of the system, celebrity in general. We talk about gatekeepers and how information that is in a medium that will go out to millions or hundreds of millions of minds, how gatekeepers uh, control those access ways. We talk about Walt Disney, and for those who are old enough can remember back to the wonderful world of Disney in black and white uh, back in the 60s, late 60s maybe, I think, where they were announcing what was next in space and how far ahead 
all those things they were showing us then or even now from what we see now um we talk about space the fraud of space we talk about the movie 2001 a space odyssey which of course leads us to stanley kubrick um, we talk a lot about Kubrick. We talk about the movie 2001, how the original version had all these thank yous and the credits to NASA that were later removed, and uh, Kubrick's later movie. Uh, shoot, I always forget the name of it. It's a guy's name. But anyhow, he goes to NASA and asks them for a special high-tech lens to shoot this movie. It's all very telling. We talk about the black cube. We talk about Saturn. We talk about music encoding, rockets, the fraud of rockets, space fraud, um, we talk about history and how so much of it seems to be put together as a play or a skit with set pieces and actors. We talk about space, uh, SpaceX, Elon Musk. We talk about some of the things that I have filmed and what I learned and how I finally put it into context using calculations about the value of a pixel with the systems I was using. We talk about some facts about filming the sky, the distance of the moon and planets, excuse me, the effects of music, and we talk about rock and roll and rap. And again, the second portion on Crow777Radio.com goes nearly two hours, and as always, Jason does a fantastic job keeping my feet on the ground and calming me down where needed. So there it is. All right, man, welcome to Crow777Radio Podcast. I believe this is episode 25, counting with our corrupted numeric system, which we all participate in. Um, I've got Jason back again today. Uh, last time we did this, it was very popular. I had a lot of messages asking to have Jason back on again, uh, doing such a great job counterpointing uh, all the things that we cover. So uh, as I'll probably append an intro into this episode, I usually do. Let's jump right into it. Uh, welcome back, Jason. Thanks, Crow. Great to be here as always. Right on, right on, man. Let's. Uh, I know you got a ton of things that you want to bring up among the other things that we will cover. So let's just jump in. Cool. All right. My first question for you is on the lunar wave, which uh, is definitely the thing that you pioneered and got to, to uh, be known for. And I still see people constantly commenting on your videos, whether it's uh, uh, some of your other work that you've put up, camera work that you've put up, or actually on uh, the radio show that you put up on YouTube. So the one that a lot of people question is the lunar wave phenomenon being... Um, an effect of jets flying by. And I see a lot of people doing that and even other people posting videos. And I think it would be interesting to hear um, how you've figured out the difference between, yes, that phenomenon does happen, but that's not what the lunar wave is that you've captured or a whole bunch of other people have captured. Right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of ways we could go at this, but the first and easiest way for anyone is to simply... Someone makes a video saying that, look at the footage that they're showing, and then go look at the 2012 lunar wave. You'll quickly see they're not even in the same country. Uh, there, There is no footage that I'm aware of, with the exception of one, which is still not in the same ballpark, where uh, people have claimed it's a bow wave and all these other things. Pretty much where I think that started was a person decided they were going to take umbrage with me and they did something like a 25 or 26 video run at me. Um, and I had talked to this person a year prior and they had admitted flat out it couldn't be done by planes, but then they put that forward and they hammered it with, with a bunch of videos. Now the one individual, and it was actually not too long ago, I'm sorry I don't remember his name, I think it's posted on my, on my YouTube channel. Uh, the one individual that actually filmed 
something that approximates a lunar wave and contacted me and said, I saw a jet do this, and I take people at their word, what you see is a close-up shot. Two waves that are locked together and maybe not quite as defined as a typical lunar wave, but it's a close-up shot. They're very close together. They're locked together like a boat's wake, and they go by. Now, there's two things to mark here. If you look at the 2012 footage, immediately after you look at that footage, you'll see the big difference. First of all, the, the lunar wave comes in pairs, and they are not locked together. The waves are independent. They have different periods and different timings from one wave to another sometimes. Um, setting that aside, the one piece of footage that I've seen where the guy's saying, hey, man, I saw a jet do this, and I believe him, um, if you zoomed that out to full frame the moon, those two little waves that are locked together would look very, very close together, maybe almost to the point where they look like one wave. That's the closest I've seen. So I would say this. Oh, here's another thing. If you go to my channel, I probably have something on the order of five jets of different sizes and different distances from me transiting the moon. And you'll see what we typically see, which I call jet wash. Um, you could talk to Richard 205 Maria. You could talk to any number of the other people who have been out filming um, because inevitably everybody films a plane at some point. Um, on the 2012 lunar wave, I didn't even remember how long it was after it was filmed, but a video engineer got a hold of me and he said, look, the wave's not going across the video frame. And he did this, you know, using video manipulation. That's another thing. On the 2012 lunar wave, actually, there's a wave that goes from bottom to top and then another wave behind it, same. There's an energy pulse that goes kind of diagonally with arcing lines as if it's covering a sphere. And then there is a sweep that goes left to right. So the idea that any object traveling in a single uh, direction could leave a bow wake of some kind with waves going in three directions. Again, there's, there's just so much evidence, but at the end of the day, let me just make this simple. Someone claims it, go look at their footage and make up your own mind and, you know, go back and refresh what the 2012 footage looks like. So, I mean, that was a bit rambling, but there it is. Well, I think it's uh, <clears throat> important that we discuss this again because more people are capturing it and putting it up and, uh, I think people look towards you to really, hey, did I really capture this thing? You know, that, that you're very respected in, the, in this regard. Plus, you always have the trolls out there who are just trying to attack you. And I just wanted to kind of have you go over everything. Hey, this is what makes a lunar wave, and this is what makes jet wash, and this is why they're different. And then folks can say, hey, okay, I can, I can use that as my example for anything I might capture. Right, and let me add one more thing. Um, even me. When I first caught that, the, the instant I realized it was happening, my instant mental process was something's failing. Something digital here is failing. Um, the human mind sees something that's kind of that outlandish. Um, you always try to figure out a common sense way that you can explain what you're seeing. This is part of it. But as a rule, lunar waves come in pairs. They are not locked together. In other words, the first wave could travel across at a different speed. I think Randy filmed one with almost 40 seconds in between the first and second wave. Um, they can have different periods, so they're not, I guess you'd call like tidally locked, like a boat wave. Second thing is, quite often, 
the entire surface of the moon begins to look like it's pulsating. This has happened in Randy's footage. This happens to some degree in 2012 footage. And lastly, according to a video engineer, he can demonstrate, and I have used that evidence to show that the lunar waves are not crossing the entire video frame. Um, and in terms of jet wash, you can go look at any number of, of videos to see jet wash. It, it just doesn't look like a wave at all. Now, just to be very uh, specific about this, jet wash would cover the entire frame, wouldn't it? Because the air, the basically what the jet wash is, is that the air is being disturbed, and that's what the camera's picking up. Right, and quite often you can just absolutely see this, and the reason is, is because most people filming for lunar waves are at third phase or better, so close to a full moon, so as that jet goes by, it's backlit. You know, very few people understand, when you're using a telescope, if you put in an eyepiece to look at a full moon, it can hurt your eye. I mean, physically make it uncomfortable because it's so bright. Um, when I do that, I knock it down 80% with a filter. So I'm just pointing this out because as the jet and the jet wash go by, there is so much backlighting coming from this big bright moon that you can pretty much see it. It looks like uh, like uh, fuel vapor almost, and it dissipates, but there is no precision little defined wave that is traveling uh, in 90 some odd percent of the jet wash footage you will see. And uh, before we let this topic go, I just wanted to say that um, the new iPhones that came out can yeah. do 4K. Wow. So for those of you uh, who are looking for an inexpensive way to start doing this in high quality, uh, just like the last fellow when we did the Lunar Wave Roundtable on my show was shooting with a telephone, the new phones are just, they're incredible. So if you had a telescope and, and then just a little connector piece for that, you could be shooting 4K video with an object you may already have in your pocket. That's so I just kind of want to throw that out there for everyone to think about. And, and to, to, to add to that, you don't need that. If you're going to do lunar work, um, even a 3-inch telescope, although I would recommend buying at least a 4, I usually say at least a 6, so you don't outgrow it real, real quickly. But even a 3- or 4-inch telescope will do beautiful lunar work. I'm not that familiar with telescopes. When you say outgrow it, what exactly does that mean for anybody else who might be like me and not too familiar with them? So the bigger the scope, we're talking about the aperture, uh, the more light you collect. As a matter of fact, in the astronomy communities, they sometimes refer to telescopes as light buckets because that's basically what you're doing. You're collecting light. The bigger your scope, the more light you collect. So what happens is there'd be two kinds of people. People go out, buy a scope, and they don't they use it a few times then they don't then the other kind of person uses it gets hooked on it and starts using it a lot and then you know within a few months they're wishing they would have had a six or an eight inch scope just because you're collecting that much more light so if you shoot planets or any other number of things bigger is better so if somebody had a decent scope that's a six or eight and then they're using their iphone 7 at 4k i'm going to assume you can get some really stunning detail then right they're shooting in higher quality than I, sh sh I don't know, the first year and a half, um, maybe almost two years that I was posting stuff that people could see. I was using an 8-inch telescope and a 16-megapixel Canon T2i, so that 4K camera you're talking about is a hell of a lot better than what I started with, and it's a, it's a hell of a lot better than what I shot the shooting orb in the chemtrail with. It's a hell of a lot better than I shot the 2012 lunar wave. Um, and any number of daytime kind of UFO objects or whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it'll get the job done, and it'll give you quality footage. And then the footage you just referred to all looks great to begin with. So speculating, what do you think someone 
if they captured in that 4K uh, with that much data, what do you think we could learn from that? Let's say they captured a lunar wave. Well, you see, that's the thing. You are you're you're getting a lot more data, so it's just hard to know. I mean, when you go to manipulate the video, and when I say manipulate, I mean things like brighten or darken to help you see things better, or run a find edge filter, as I did on the 2012 footage to to discover that there's energy pulses going on. Um, there's more data there. That means more information that you can visually take apart. Um, it's hard to know what more we would get out of it, but certainly we can absolutely know there's more data for us to visibly get more information. And you could zoom in, I'm assuming, uh, once you dumped it into the computer, closer before it started to break up, right? Yes and no. Typically, um, I guess I've always thought about the power to zoom in as, as about megapixels. Uh, what I have found is when I jump from 16 to 36 megapixels with my uh, Nikon, um, that's really, really when I could zoom in a lot more. Um, so I'm not sure. I've, I've never owned a 4K camera. I would imagine you could zoom a bit more, but I'm not sure if it's a lot more without the megapixels to back it. I'm just not sure on that. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I think we really uh, we got some good info out there for everyone who I'm sure there's a lot of folks that want to also go wave hunting. Yeah, it's a simple thing. You know, if someone wants to make a claim that the wave is a lie or anything else, look at their footage and then immediately go look at the 2012. See, what tends to happen is people have seen the 2012 footage that I shot, but it's been a while and they've kind of forgot. Even to this day, every time I go back and look at the 2012 footage, it blows my mind. Even to this day, I've seen that footage, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of times. I don't know a lot. I have seen that footage. And, you know, the first year I was taking it apart nonstop. But when I haven't looked at it for a week or a month, every time I go back to look at that footage, it's just like, holy smokes, man, that is, it's mind-blowing. No, it is. It's definitely the most impressive footage out of all the ones I've seen. And, um... I've tried to look at all of them that are out there, so I don't know. We still don't know what it is, but it's still very, very interesting. If there's any value to it, it should at some point reveal more, and that should probably happen completely independent of me. So there it is. Um, we can all keep our fingers crossed because I would certainly like to know more. All right. Well, before we get into any other topics, uh, you posted something about the YouTube Heroes thing coming up, and... Um, why don't we talk about that real quick before we discuss any of the social issues? Yeah, man. it's uh, When I saw that, you know, it was actually Houston Skywatch who sent me uh, a link to that. And uh, he didn't say anything. He said, just check this out. And after I watched it, I, you know, this is what we've been saying. Free speech on social media is constantly under attack. And we all imagine and are pretty sure there's a time coming when the free speech we kind of used to have is not going to be in existence anymore. YouTube Heroes is unbelievable. Um, not just in what it's stating it's going to do, get the community to go rat on everybody and, and have actual members of YouTube have the power to go judge your video, flag it, or mass flag many videos, and then if they've been trained up to whatever level it is, actually remove your video from YouTube just because they're a YouTube hero, I quote. You know, it's a bit like the Patriot Act, I guess. The name <laughs> game, the name game they're playing. But that's not really even the half of it. Because if something like this gets implemented, you better understand. Um, you may think 
that it's just other members of the community out there ratting on each other and helping free speech die, but you know they're going to mix bots in. So there will be this username, you don't know who it is, and it could easily be a bot. So here they put up this whole facade where users are out there doing things they shouldn't be doing to other members of the community with regard to free speech, and there's going to be these bots mixed in with it. Um, it's an incredibly invasive thing, and when I posted the video about it for the first time the other day, I referred to YouTube heroes as the death knell for free speech on YouTube. Well, to me, it's it's a, a flag being waved really high and fast that we must be being effective in some way, shape, or form that they need to come up with a system like this to start, you know, uh, taking down some of our uh, capability to put out information. Well, total control does not come with free speech intact. We know these things. And the problem here is, is that, you know, you might not even have to curtail a, an individual's free speech on the street, but on online, look at me. I stay stuff and people in all these countries hear what I'm saying. That's a problem for the people who would control this place. And, uh, you know, we saw YouTube make a run at it. You got to identify yourself with an ID, um, the whole idea of what's appropriate content. You know, I got news for all you companies YouTube, your servers are in California for crying out loud. That means if there are anything left on the books that resemble the free speech most Americans think they grew up with, you're violating our rights. And even if those laws were changed, I don't give a damn. I'm a free, divine individual, and I will say or think whatever the heck I want. So even if they've managed to skew laws in some way, they're still violating my rights. And this is what, what we see. We have seen it coming. Uh, you know, this is basis for the whole reason I set up Crow 777 Radio. Because I knew there was going to come a time uh, when I wouldn't be able to say anything I wanted. And I already knew that I couldn't put anything I wanted in a video. If I did, it gets flagged, it gets removed, it gets copyright strike, any number of things. And the thing about that is half the time it happens and you've never even heard of the person that did it to you. And they may be in Pakistan, for all you know. Right. So this is their excuse if you're saying things that they don't like. They, they just say, oh, you you got a strike against you and then you got a second strike against you. You got three strikes against you. Sorry, you're gone. And, and it's, you know, it even get it's it's rising to a new level because then the idea is that if you get a strike, you can go take their class like it's driving school. Like they have the authority to license you in some way, and that's a privilege for you. And now that you've infringed on your own privilege, you've got to go to their class like you're going to the DMV to try to remove points from a ridiculous license that wasn't even legitimate in the first place. Right. And for, for those folks who don't know, the reason why uh, you do things the way you do them with, with, uh, with your radio show, you say different things in hour two than you do in hour one because – you don't know what YouTube's going to try and censor on you, and obviously you don't want your, your channel attacked because you've got some amazing footage that's getting out there to new people every day. So hour one, you're going to cover certain topics, but hour two, you might really get into some very heavy stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to post on uh, YouTube. As an example, the Encoding of Religion episode that just went up one or two shows back, um, that's a prime example. If you try to point things out about religion, there are going to be people out there who are so religious that don't think you should say any single thing, don't even have the right to say anything about religion. That's how you pick up flags. 
Um, and that's ridiculous because I've stated over and over, I'm not knocking any religion. I'm giving information here. Um, I have never addressed religion, but nonetheless, on the free hour that hits YouTube, you've always got to be mindful that it only takes one jackass out there to start going out and flagging. And, you know, of course, usually there's nothing to flag. So the truth is people who flag for no good reason, they get caught, too, by YouTube for flagging for no good reason point is, once you get flagged, uh, it, it's just hassles you don't need. Um, and, you know, Jason, you're absolutely right. The meat and potatoes always shows up on Crow 777 Radio because I don't have to even worry one bit what I say there. Right. And then to kind of put bookends on this topic, the YouTube Heroes thing seems like it's, it's just an excuse for them to come down on who they want to. Yeah, man, it reminds me of that. The first time I saw the name, I started thinking about that Foreigner song, you know, be a YouTube hero with stars in your eyes. Um, <laughs> unreal, man. They even got degrees of heroship up to the fifth degree or something. A little staircase representing that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's unreal that any thinking individual would buy into that kind of rat on your neighbor or even consider that they have the authority to judge what is appropriate or not from another human being. Honestly, that just sounds like pre-World War II Germany to me, but hey. I'm sure it's the same playbook. I mean, there's nothing new uh, in this world, is there? No. All right, well, moving along, I, uh, we saw the presidential elections this, uh, excuse me, the presidential debate this week, and I think most of us who are awake to things know that in some way, shape, or form, this is all a sham. It's it's all fake. Uh, this this time around, though, everything seems to be to a, a ludicrous, cartoonish level. And I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on why you think the two people that they put out to represent both sides of the party parties, which are of course under one one control system, but they give the illusion of choice. Why? Are they doing this to such a degree of – it's just – it's silly at this point. Like these people, they just so unbelievable. You know, years ago at least you'd kind of have these people who seemed like they were statesmen even if, you know, behind the scenes you knew they were doing dirty business dealings and things like that. But now it's just at this Looney Tune level that's, that's just it's, – it's a sick joke. It's, it's about expectations. It's like the frog in boiling water. Can you imagine – playing the Clinton blowjob in office news for someone in the 50s. They would have been outraged. There would have been hell to pay. But fast forward to when Clinton took up two, three years of our lives because he supposedly got a blowjob in office. Um, what they're doing is exposing you to things. So at first they seem outlandish and shocking or any number of things. But over time, it loses its edge. I mean, think of Sarah Palin. The first time you saw her, you're thinking this person can't even walk and chew gum at the same time. How could they be in this position? Well, the truth is she was almost certainly acting the part she did. Um, but, you know, we come up to the modern age where we've got Trump and Hillary. It's just the same thing. It's getting to such a cartoon overall feel to the whole thing that all value and common sense have been squeezed out of it. I mean, I didn't watch the... Uh, the thing the other night on TV, but I did notice the paper the next morning and I saw Hillary, I think, wearing orange. And uh, for people who understand what's going on, uh, if you see a presidential candidate say something, do something, wear a pin, wear a color, it has meaning. And orange is the only color that resolves to 33. Um, 
it's all a sham and it's all messing with your minds and your expectations. Um, that's what politics is. And unfortunately, you know, the, the rest of the world must be watching this and just kind of crying for America because it's become such a kind of Looney Tune show. And I do speak to people all over the world and they know that there's a larger number of people waking up to things than the mainstream media would let you believe. But they definitely feel bad for us. Like, I can't believe you guys are putting up with this. You know, it's so kind of, it's such a controlled environment, and they've already demonstrated with umpteen Hillary clips that they were green screened or put together in some fashion. Uh, it, it would be interesting to really discover how controlled it is and how tightly they have their 500 people that are qualified to be audience members or, or this type of thing. Because I suspect that it is a complete shell game and that there are a heck of a lot more of us that even if not totally awakened to what's going on, not buying into it anymore. And that's a problem. And uh, unless they get total control quick, these are the kinds of things that are going to come up and bite them in the butt. Right, and that's actually why I like to bring these points up, because people who, who may be hearing this are going to be at different levels of educating themselves. Um, you know, there's people like you have been doing this for decades. I've been doing it for about 15 years. And, you know, there's people who just really started challenging the mainstream last week so it's very good for us to put these topics out there and say hey you really need to challenge this this uh this mainstream concept and really think for yourself does this make sense well there's one simple rule you know we have a word dilusia jason no, okay no, thought i heard the little skype thing go off so there, there's a, a rule we have a word for what we call mainstream well, let's give a definition to that word. Let's give an actual true definition to what mainstream media and information sources are. And this includes the Alex Jones or any of the other big gateways that talk to millions of people at once. What it is, is controlled information. And this can be proved in a second. If you were to even go to someone like Alex Jones and say, Hey, Alex, did anyone die at Sandy Hook? He could never in a million years say, nope, nobody died at Sandy Hook. And that is proof. It has been proven ad nauseum that Sandy Hook was a complete skit, a put on, a play, like so much of the news we see. And while we probably won't ever have the opportunity to go ask that question, you have to start embedding in your own mind that if you are looking at a source of information that goes out to millions or hundreds of millions of people at once, it is a gateway for information and a hundred percent controlled. In other words, you're never going to accidentally hear this one person who just happens to really want to inform you utter something that matters. It will never happen. Ever, ever, ever. And if it does, then our world would be about to change in a big way. Right. And I, I think it's fair to say that no matter which side gets into the White House, it's it's going to be more of the same. It's the, it's the same side. There 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 are no sides. I mean, it, it, this is the illusion of Republican and Democrat and Bernie Sanders as as you know just there to make sure no one ever considers the possibilities he's talking about, where people could have medical care anytime they want because he puts an ism on it, social ism. And then they can generalize it and make it a horrible thing. And since most Americans have never left the country, they have no idea what it even means. Um, the truth is, is Obama any damn different than the last guy? 
Was the last guy any damn different than the guy before him? They're all playing from the same playbook with the same goal in mind. And that is all there is to it. And if you want to argue otherwise, I don't have time to do that because the simple, sad truth is you have not woke up to the reality of what is going on. Well, I would say as far as looking at who ran this country, supposedly, throughout the 20th century, each uh, president was doing just a little bit more to bring us to where we're at today, <clears throat> which is probably why we're at this cartoonish level that so much has been done to take down this country and destroy our freedoms that we're at the point now where they feel they can say and do anything and it just doesn't matter. Because things that, for instance, uh, President Eisenhower may have done, that wouldn't have flown the way they're doing it now in the 1950s, like you said earlier. People had a completely different mindset, and they were very patriotic, very much in, into the country, and they just wouldn't have stood for it. But the things they say today are just over-the-top ludicrous. Well, you know, we talked last time a bit about the corporation of the United States. We talked about the year, which I've forgotten what it was, 1871. I may not have that right, but sometime around after 70, 1776, maybe it was 1781, I'm sorry, um, the, the District of Columbia, that bizarre little place that's like the Vatican and the Corporation of London, incorporated. And that's where supposedly the government for this country sits. But there are obvious things anyone can look at. Look at your money for crying out loud. It says United States Federal Reserve's note. Not United States of America. You want to know why? Because the United States is a corporation. That's why it says United States and not USA or United States of America on a Federal Reserve note. You see, a corporation only serves the board of directors and the shareholders and itself. And since 1781 or sometime around there, Washington, D.C. was incorporated into the corporation called the United States. If you cannot understand what that means, you've got to catch up because this guarantees that when we tell you things like it doesn't matter if Trump or Hillary or Bush or Clinton or anyone gets in, they are all working for the same master. Right, and this is very important to point out. And all of this, <clears throat> the United States Corporation, this all ties into the straw man identity and what we got into last time about us being traded on the stock market. These things are all intertwined. There's a reason why things are the way they are. And, and it really does come down to uh, the control structure that they use the money system for globally. Um, there's a reason why almost every country on earth except for three, if I remember correctly, has a central bank that all ties into the Rothschilds banks in the UK. Well, let's try to let's try to be a little more blunt. We outlined this pretty well last time, and uh, I ended up pointing out that we are chattel. We are being traded as chattel. Um, it basically what chattel comes down to. It's like personal property. Now, Jason pointed out in the last show that he went and looked up his number and found himself traded on the stock market. On Crow 777 Radio, I think I got about five messages from people who said, you can still do it. I just did it. I found myself being traded on the stock market. Clear your mind. Take a deep breath. Examine what we just said here. What does that mean? Think about it. What does that mean? What it means is that there is a ruling class out there that thinks you are their property. You are chattel. So the idea that we got to argue about who's running for election, I mean, really, dial it back to reality here. There are people here trading you on the stock market. What gets traded on the stock market? Commodities. 
You're a commodity, a possession, a thing called chattel. So, I mean, that's kind of as rock bottom to the base of things as we can go. But if you come from that place, and I'm not asking you to believe it, go out and challenge it. Go out and, you know, do what you got to do to decide whether there's value in the things we just said here. But if you come from that place, having researched it, then everything above, like who's running for president or what law is getting passed, begins to take on a whole new look. And it's a truer look. And because of all this, you now understand why the powers that be, whoever you want to, whatever you want to call them and whoever they may actually be, the, this is the reason why they do things the way they do. We're nothing to them but a piece of paper being traded on the market. We, we are not people to them. We don't mean anything to them. We're just a resource to be used, abused, and thrown away. That's right. And, you know, what's funny about that, and it is kind of comical, anyone living in the United States of America, noticed I used the America part because I don't support the corporation, um, Anyhow, if you've watched historically something like Turner Classic Movies, which is now the repository for all the kind of golden age Hollywood stuff, go back and look at the number of those movies where the main characters are the rich people, they've got servants all around them, they don't work, they can go anywhere in the world, they have all the money they need, it's like 90% of the movies you will see. And when you begin to take it apart, what you are looking at is an aspect of lords and ladies and royalty. This was all embedded into the Hollywood scene. And what's ironic about this is when we had the supposed crash of Wall Street in the 30s, the big concern supposedly was that Hollywood, well, you know, how are we going to portray all this? Well, you want to know something? Go back and look at those movies. They portrayed rich people. And while the whole country was starving to death, they, they spent their dime and their nickel to go to a movie and watch rich people living like royalty. That's how brainwashed we are. It has been encoded in our media since the beginning of time who the important echelons of society are. And when you look at those movies, the vast majority of us would be the butler, the maid, the servant, because we sure as heck are not the rich people who are the main characters. Um, this is the, the way of things. And, you know, if you take it back further, you'll understand this is all coming from the kind of European British royalty. This is the foundation of all this we see. That also tells you just how far back that they were using the entertainment industry uh, as a means of control. You know, maybe it wasn't quite as streamlined as they have it now where they can really program things but they were still implanting images and suggestions and ideas even you know in the 20s and 30s well it was from the get-go in my view uh, they knew the power of what they were going to have and uh, they planned from the outset to use it as control whether or not groups fought over who was going to control it uh, i don't know it's hard to imagine that happened because after all it seems the jewish families got it but even look at the name of the place that does the movie and i quote magic the dream factory it is also known as it's called hollywood well i once saw an individual breaking down um obvious things that we can look at definitions for and the claim was made that hollywood was what the wands for the druid idea was at some time and so you see the complete construct built around a dream factory a magic factory there was never a time in my view when they didn't understand the power of what they were unleashing and gearing it for the, the ultimate end of total control of populations. I think what you're referencing is uh, the Druids' magic wands were made out of the... Hollywood. Ho Hollywood, yeah, the, the wood of, of a holly tree. 
And uh, just so happens that Harry Potter's magic wand is also made out of Hollywood with what? a phoenix feather in it. <laughs> For those of you who may not be Harry Potter fans out there, my little girl is, and I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, phoenix feather. Now, phoenix, there's a heck of a word, man. Look at the places named Phoenix. Look at the places named Phoenix. Learn what Phoenix means to rise from the ashes. And this is kind of the whole basis of being chattel, isn't it? Because if the people in charge want to build something better, they're going to destroy some things in order to make room for what they consider better. And guess what? Probably not going to be a castle they destroy. It puts a whole new kind of spin on something like a city named Phoenix, which is in the middle of the desert, which will never have a water problem because they've been underground banking it forever. And another key indicator is look at the airports in any given city. You will learn a lot about a city by its airport. Look at the historical buildup of, I don't know whether it's called Sky Harbor, I've forgotten, whatever the Phoenix airport is. But yeah, man, words have meaning and... <laughs> All these things are geared to do things that are not helpful to the majority of us. No, that's absolutely true. I, th I think the one a lot of folks find out about real quickly is the Denver airport and just the bizarre things that are littered throughout all of that, and that should tell you everything. Right. I think, isn't it the Denver airport that also has that little, like, Mason monument uh, sporting the Jewish date instead of the, you know, the, the date we use? Yeah, there's multiple Masonic... Um, little little plaques and things all over the place. There was a giant mural of a representation of basically Armageddon, which, uh, from what I've heard, has finally been painted over. But there are numerous little statues of like little demons and things. I, I have yet to get there myself to see it, but I've seen plenty of pictures and videos of it, and it's just bizarre. Not to mention the fact that out front is the dark horse of the apocalypse, an identical one of which was used in a live presentation of a katie of the katie perry song dark horse the uh, the other person who was guesting on the song came out in a dark horse that looked exactly like the same one that's in front of the denver airport so if you don't think all these things are tied together you're kidding yourself well this is one of the things that you know you just don't talk about on facebook because it will cause more trouble than it's worth but it's been shown ad nauseum that the british code of arms corresponds one-to-one -one with the book of revelation so you could sit there and argue which one came first, although I would point out to you that there are Bibles out there that some churches will use none other than that Bible that have a king's name on it. King James Bible. Really? Shouldn't that be like God's Bible or just the Bible? How in the heck can you have a Bible with a king's name on it and be okay with that? Words have meaning, also known as the 1611 Bible, which of course encodes 911 because six is a mirror of nine. Um, these things go on and on and on, and there are so many kind of high-end researchers that I respect that have absolutely shown the echoing of portions of the Bible, and uh, it's undeniable in my mind. No, you're totally right, because uh, that sounds a lot more like man's word than God's word, doesn't it? I don't understand how you can look at a supposed book that holds the word of God and accept that it's called King James. That's called the King James Bible. That's possessive. In other words, this Bible belongs to King James. That's how you would read that and recognize the possessive manner of how it's written. Um, how? How? I don't understand. Words have meaning. It should be God's word, or it should be just plain Bible, or it should be any number of things, and yet it bears the stamp of British royalty, and we all know what British royalty has done to us. Yes, exactly. So, 
taking all of this into account, it's irrelevant who's going to get into the White House next. Where do you see this country going and from that, the rest of the world, in the next few years? Because obviously, it doesn't seem like it's going to matter who, who actually wins the election. No, I don't think it does. I think it was planned a long time ago. That's my view. But I would point out to all the people li listening in different countries who look at us and think, man, those Americans, look what they're putting up with. Anything that can be done to America can be done to anyone. I would keep that in mind. If you ask me what I expect to see, I can only give my kind of best idea of how I have seen things built to this point. What I see is reflected in YouTube heroes. You're going to see freedoms of every kind diminished, kind of in the frog and boiling water way where it's implemented in little bits and pieces so people don't notice. And then you're going to see things like YouTube heroes and how Facebook tried to make everyone show their real identity. They fly it up the flagpole once, it works or it doesn't, and then they come back and they do it in a slightly different way. The biggest sign, in my view, of the coming times will be the diminishing and restriction of freedoms, with the end goal being total control of populations across a world population. Do you think there's a timetable that they're working towards, uh, a realistic one, I should say? You know, how long till we are truly under complete occupation? I wish I could answer that, but we know almost without any reason to doubt that it has to be so carefully planned to a date. Otherwise, why are things like 9-11 echoed? So here in the 80s, we're watching Back to the Future, where they're encoding and pre-echoing and pre-forecasting 9-11. That's two decades away, and they're building it into a movie. So it kind of shows you the level of the game they're playing and just how detailed and how far in advance it's going. Um, what they want here is, so many people think there's like, oh, there's going to be a war. This is exactly what they're trying to avoid. If they implement this in tiny little steps over time, they don't have to deal with a war. See, the problem with a war is a war could become unpredictable. If there was actually a true war that isn't a media-driven thing, where people rose up to oppose something, that becomes very unpredictable very quickly. And this is the very thing they don't want to deal with. And that's why you see all these things like Patriot Acts or any number of things we can point to slowly implemented over time. So again, to beat it to death, it's like the frog in boiling water. You wake up one day and you're boiling and you think to yourself, how the heck did I get here? I didn't realize I was boiling. Well, the, the other problem with a, a large-scale war like that would mean lots of people trained how to be soldiers and would have weapons, and I don't think they want that. Well, they have reduced actual physical personnel regularly uh, since the 80s in this country, where there's been times when, even when I was in, when I was in, there were all these people that wanted to be career Marines that were forced out. And these were actually good, what I would consider good Marines. Like, if you were going to look at an individual that could add something to a unit or something like that, these were the very people they were forcing out. Sergeants, staff sergeants, even gunnery sergeants. So they'd been there a long time. Um, there's always a very careful control implemented, and I would be very surprised if there wasn't a super accurate record of everyone in the country that's ever been trained in the military. Now, that's interesting. Let's touch on that a little more. When you say they were being forced out, what exactly was going on? Because you always see constant recruitment going on for new up-and-comings, you know, and I, and I would say that that's just fresh meat for the grinder. Throw them in for the four years, get them back out, and who cares what happens to them? That, that's the way I kind of see it. 
but as far as these career people who ones who would who would have a lot more access to information and make better contacts and network all over the world those are the people I, I'm conjecturing here that's the ones they'd be forcing out right well, it might have been a little different in the Marine Corps than other branches. Um, at the time, we were told you had so many people in a billet. For people who don't understand what a billet is, it's your job description. So say you're told there's only 6,000 people at the rank of sergeant in this radio operator job. So you have to wait for a guy at the top to leave before another guy gets promoted. That was the idea behind it. But exactly like Jason just described, if you consider that there is never a time they're not recruiting new guys in the front door, the grunts, you know, the little expendables at the bottom, but then consider what it means to take a staff sergeant who may have been in, in a comm unit for 12, 15 years maybe, expert in all the equipment, you're forcing that guy out. So logically it doesn't make sense, but this is in essence exactly what we saw. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of people would be surprised to understand when the Gulf War broke out and they were trying to figure out in Japan how to divvy up units so that there would be enough units to do the regular Japan job while all these other guys supposedly went off to fight the Gulf War, all of a sudden all these reservists came in. And what was strange about it, for the first time we saw reservists being shipped to Iraq. So normally you would expect this reservist to come in and take maybe a fixing radios job and stay in, in Japan and replace the guy who went over to the theater of war or the supposed theater of war. This is not what we saw. We saw a little bit of both. And so it just kind of demonstrates that on the face of it, you probably have a vastly different idea than what is actually going on. But since the 80s, they have constantly downsized the physical number of human bodies in the military branches. Right. And I, I would assume that the people who are long-term or they've done they've done the most they've been they've been around the most they've met the most people they are definitely the ones who would be considered a threat if anything major happened where there's some sort of martial law or uh, military occupation those are the people who would probably be the first ones to stand up against it I, I don't know how to go with that, Jason. You know, I could think about it in two ways. Um, a lot of these guys were very loyal to the Marine Corps. You know, these were the guys with the high and tight haircut who said, oorah, every day. But at the same time, uh, if they were removed from that and saw injustice going on, would these be the people to stand up against the injustice? I think for a lot of them, yes. And then I think a lot of them would be right back to, I lived a life of taking orders. Who's giving the orders now? It's a hard thing to know. But, uh, you know, things like this I may not have a good handle on, but I assure you, the people who want to put their arms around this world and own it and control it, they have a very good idea. Um, it's like, you know, before we started recording today where I was talking to you about how you can use access memory to get people to say certain things before they say it, um, you've got to understand that the powers that be have all this kind of very high, high, what would you call it, um, behavioral sciences, you know, and what to expect. And to top it off, they've got all the data on each of us because we all leave digital fingerprints. Right. And that's the whole point behind collecting all this data is they, they are getting better and better at predictive uh, programming 
to, to give back to you. It's a, basically this constant uh, feedback loop where they're learning more about us and then they learn how to manipulate us and it's just they're constantly bombarding us over and over and over again. And they've got it to the point now where they can predict human behavior to a very, very accurate degree. I'm sure it's not 100% because there's always a slight random unpredictability with people, but it sounds like they're getting really close to just knowing how you're going to react to any given situation. Oh, I, I'm certain that with the data collection and other things that they have access to, they would do a very good job of that. But here's a little kind of side story that I've never really talked about because I wasn't sure what to make of it. I didn't know how much of it was fantasy and how much of it was reality. I had a friend that I was in the Marine Corps with and we were talking. We hadn't talked for a long time after we got out of the Marine Corps and I finally talked with him again. And inevitably, it, we were talking about the things you and I are talking about now. And he mentioned that he had noticed that these colored stickers were being put on mailboxes all over his area of the country. They were red, yellow, and green, if I remember correctly. And he started launching into this whole thing about how he thought they were grading people because he noticed he was an ex-Marine and his was red and someone else on his street who was ex-military was red. And uh, he said they were asking about him, couldn't get any answers. And I didn't think about it for a long time. And then some months later, I saw a red sticker on my mailbox, a little round sticker, reflective. And I thought, well, it's reflective. So I started paying attention in my neighborhood, and sure enough, I saw paper and reflective-type little round stickers on mailboxes. Um, and that's when I talked to him again, and he said they had gone to the post office and asked questions. Nobody knew anything, didn't know anything about it, and then the stickers were no longer around anymore. So this kind of illustrates the idea, if there is any reality to it, and it also underscores how important it is to be aware of your environment. You know, the average person will go to a, a mailbox and pull the mail out and never notice there's a sticker. A very aware person will absolutely say, wait a minute, what's that sticker for? Um, I don't know how valid any of this actually is, but I do know that some months later I saw the stickers, most of them paper, and then a couple like red reflective stickers, and uh, I pulled the ones off that were on my street and they never showed up again, but uh, that's kind of a maybe a bloviated side story, but it illustrates a point, I think. I've heard people dismissing that as uh, that's whatever paper you're subscribed to, but if you're saying that it's happening in a logistical pattern, like it makes sense of why, why what color would go with what color, and you didn't subscribe to a newspaper, obviously, then that kind of defeats that whole argument in the first well, place. Well, let me, let me point something else out. Where I was in San Diego, it was not legal for the newspapers to be delivered into mailboxes for some reason, and the same is true here. Well, actually, that's not true. One of the small papers can be put in the mailbox, but the other one cannot. So you've always got two papers, one in the mailbox very early in the morning, the other not. In San Diego, everywhere I ever lived, the papers were thrown onto your driveway. And so I would suggest that I'm not sure you can draw the corollary to newspapers. I'm not suggesting I know that this is absolutely, absolutely true. I'm using it as an example of two things. Pay the heck attention. If there's a little something different, notice that something. Pay attention to that something. And the other thing would be the idea of 
when things get implemented, would it be implemented in a way like this or not? And the truth is, if they were actually doing a test run with stickers, it would have been very easy to stop doing it, like Facebook with their identification, and then put out some YouTube videos making up any number of side stories about it. Um, so it's not really a knowable thing. It's more or less a an idea that we can focus on to further ourselves. Right. I, I, I couldn't, I can't agree with you more. You, you've got to pay attention to what's going on around you because we're being bombarded on every level from the smallest, most subtle thing to the biggest things. And I'll just leave it at that. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, I think there's no doubt, man. Uh, you know, last time we touched on the whole uh, Catholic Church telescope thing, and I kind of wanted to follow up more with that with you. Okay. Not only are they obviously looking at something in, in the heavens, but the Catholic Church is probably one of the richest organizations on the planet. They don't pay taxes. They take an insane amount of money. Um, they probably have enough money, I would conjecture, to fix the entire world if they really wanted to. <laughs> to take every poor person off the streets? <laughs> isn't, that right. their, isn't that their job? Yeah. Right. I don't think anyone would go hungry if the Catholic Church actually decided to, to, to do something about it. But that's beside the point. What do you think about, for example, the Catholic Church, but there's plenty of other organized religions that uh, exist in, in, as almost like a corporate entity in that sense where there's just stupid amounts of money going through their coffers. How extensive do you think their control grid really is and what their overall plan is? for having that control grid? Well, I think we can deduce that the the sway, reach, and power of the Catholic Church is diminished, and we can kind of demonstrate this. Um, the whole idea that their next guy is going to come out of a Latin-based country, because Latin-based countries are typically very Catholic, as is the part of the country I am in right now. Compared to San Diego, this is Catholicville. Um, a very stark difference. But what we see is, you know, I just saw something the other day that claimed uh, church attendance in England was down to 1% or something like this. Don't know if that's true, but here's my point. It's clear that the Catholic Church has lost power from yesteryear. But, like you said, they, got, they gained so much wealth in that time, do they actually need the physical hands-on religious control to implement things? And I would suggest to you that money will do just about anything you want it to. And you still see them struggling, con concentrating very heavily in the Spanish, Hispanic, and other nations that are still heavily Catholic, um, money is money, money spends, and they got more money than, well, you know what I would say next. Right, and with that kind of money, I would conjecture that you could do just about anything you wanted, and what is it that this could all be building towards? I mean, they, they, we know they've got tens of billions of dollars. Well, it's probably. What are they going to do with it? Yeah, it's probably tens of hundreds of gazillions of billions of dollars, but um, they're going to implement control. You know, if we look back, we can see that at one point they were pretty much the religious arm for this Western portion of the world to control people. In the same way the Corporation of London was banking, in the same way Washington, D.C. was the military wing. Um, these bizarre quasi 
own little corporate entities in the middle of a state or a country that don't belong to anyone except a corporation uh, were put there for a reason. This is ultimately about control, in my view. Now, whether or not we have groups that are going to contend each other for this control, I'd be very surprised if there weren't. But who knows? The truth is, is if these guys were half as smart as you think, as we think they are, they would have already made deals with each other to avoid contending groups. Because while we, the people, only have so much ability to affect any outcome at this point, another group at a higher echelon of power and wealth sure as heck probably could. Right. And there's pretty much uh, three major accepted religions in the world that, as far as organized religion would be called, and that would be Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And we can touch on this more in the second hour because I think this would be a topic that uh, we could just go on and on about. But obviously, they're kind of, they've each got their own way of getting people to listen to what they say. So I would say that they have a control grid already through their organizations. And I find it hard to believe that more towards the top of those organizations that they don't have some sort of discussions going on and agreements on how things are going to be done. You would imagine, but uh, I mean, what we see from our vantage point, a lot of it looks like psychopaths who have no regard for human beings that are not wealthier of a bloodline. If this is true, then I would submit that it is quite possible that a psychopath is going to have a hard time looking across the table at another psychopath and not only one being able to trust him, but two being able to hatch some kind of thing that matters. But you never know. Maybe they carve things up. I, I who, who the heck knows? We can't even know for sure who they are beyond, you know, we know the Vatican was a big part of things. We know royal families. Uh, we assume places like the CIA must have reached the echelon of power where they matter. Um, but how do you ever prove any of that? I don't know. Right. We have to more conjecture off of the, the their actions as opposed to having any facts of like, you know, this guy's running this and this person's running this. We, we're not going to know that on our level It's unless somebody happens to start spilling the beans, which is very unlikely. But psychopaths are, are if, if anything, they are self-serving. So I don't have a problem believing that at the highest levels they have to be shaking each other's hands just to keep going what it is that they, that they want to accomplish. Yeah, uh, and, and look at the whole idea of the We've been told all through, you know, it's even in encoded into the Star Wars story. In the early Star Wars story, Princess Leia is kissing her brother Luke, supposedly before they realize they're brother and sister, although they're both supposed to be strong with the Force. Um, she would rather go kiss her brother than Han Solo, a part of this, and yet she is Princess Leia. So encoded in this is this idea that they've got to marry and interbreed within the bloodline. And I would suggest that this has a lot to do with how people turn out in the end. If you've got a bunch of cold-blooded people ruling over generations and they've been inbreeding within the same gene pool, I mean, do they get colder and colder as time goes on? I don't know, but it's probably not a good thing from the average humane person's point of view. Well, it's funny that you say that because a lot of these people who... The, uh, the more public figures that we know are part of these bloodlines, like the Rothschilds, for instance, most of them are, like, really creepy. Like, they just, they don't look right, you know? No, they don't, do they? And, and you know, I'm so glad you said that. I saw a picture of 
the two supposed owners or two guys involved with the ownership of the Twin Towers. It's a pretty popular picture. And every time I look at it, man, it looks like you're looking at um, Voldemort, for crying out loud. It looks like you're looking at some, like, just demonic being. There is a sense of it. And it's not just based purely on uh, he's not a good-looking human being. There's something more um, when you see it. And the Rothschild images are the same way. Um, when you see them, there is just a sense of something very dark there. Well, what I'd like to put out there, because I've thought about this myself, uh, and there's a difference between physical good looks and charisma, because right. charisma is kind of a sense more of like what's coming out of the person. And look at a lot of the, uh, the rock stars, especially the 60s rock stars. They weren't necessarily the most physically beautiful people, but they would capture people's attention because they had this swagger about them they had this confidence and and, and again charisma um these people don't have that they, there's something about them like a lot of them even politicians there's this disgusting fakery that to me anyway is just ridiculously obvious and it's a complete turnoff to me it's like i i just i see it it's you know it's it's like the turd in the punch bowl literally you know and especially these bankers they they just look like creepy old men that's always been my joke about the elitors are just a bunch of creepy old men you know in terms of politics i have never really chucked out the idea as a matter of fact like family guy at one point made fun of fox news sent one of the characters to go follow uh, what's the guy who did the movie Roger and Me, uh, the left-wing fat guy? Oh, when they made fun of Rush Limbaugh and the, <laughs> and the, the actor was playing all these roles? Well, it, it was the guy who did Roger and Me and, and Fahrenheit 9-11. I can't, Michael Moore. Oh, Michael so, Moore, yeah. So they, Michael Moore, this lefty, was actually Rush Limbaugh because he put on a suit to be Rush Limbaugh, who was actually someone else. And eventually it came back to the actor Fred Savage, who was on, um, you know, that... Wonder Years TV show as a kid. Um, that was the joke being made on all of us, is that this really good actor who started out as a child actor was actually Rush Limbaugh, who was just another guy playing another guy playing another guy. And this is echoed through so much of media that now when I look at Hillary or Trump or anyone in our government, I consider, first of all, that I know I'm looking at a corporation. So do any of those people even really exist in the way we think they do, or are there parts that have been created and played? And I know this seems like a very outlandish thing to say, but I'll tell you what, look carefully and trust your feelings, Luke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go, go and see where you come to um, examining this idea. It's, uh, it's crazy, to say the least. Well, that could be boiled down to an even simpler concept, and that's that these are all just characters. It's all the same. It's all the same thing. It's coming from the same place. You know, nothing's real. It, that Family Guy episode kind of said it with, with one little storyline. Well, how many people remember back to Ron Paul on live national TV when his eyebrow fell off? People remember that? Go look it up. So Ron Paul's wearing heavy-duty makeup because his freaking eyebrow fell off. That's one I'd never seen, but I'll definitely go check it out now. Yeah, I mean, there it is. And so, you know, I forget what the excuse was. Well, he has crappy eyebrows, so he had to have... I mean, come on. Um, the man was in a presidential debate or something like this on live television, and his damn eyebrow fell off. That tells you something. That does, unfortunately. And I always did like the way he, he was portrayed, but like all these things, I'm, I'm automatically suspicious. 
well, he was designed to to hit that nerve, wasn't he? Um, there are going to be a group of us who get sick of the red and the blue, and we're going to need an occasional Bernie Sanders or a Ron Paul to fool us even deeper down the rabbit hole. It's all constructs. And for my money, I would not be surprised to learn that every one of them is an actor playing a role and that some of these supposed human beings were never even born. They were constructed personas that were then played by any number of people. And I don't want to make a sweeping accusation, but it, it is common knowledge that Ron Paul's a Freemason. Surprise, surprise. I mean, who isn't at that level, I guess? Right. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, Ron Paul and then Bernie Sanders, because it almost reminded me like they'd have another character along the lines of a Ron Paul. You know, it's kind of like, well, he's this this uh, generation's Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, it's just, well, like, just let's put the old the old guy trying to speak some some wisdom out there. Yeah, well, it, it serves two purposes, really. You know, the people who got to have this other option are sucked in. But what he does, what both of these men try to do uh, is say some common sense things where people are so shocked that someone actually in a presidential anything said something that seems halfway reasonable. Um, and then they shoot it down because then they can say, yeah, well, look at this person saying all those things. No, America didn't want them. So they stage, you know, a person saying, you know, things that are not so outlandish. And then, of course, those people are cast by the wayside. And the way you know that this is all completely contrived is Bernie Sanders, by pretty much all admissions, was the winner in the Democratic side of things. You know, it's like well, well, everybody wait, wanted, nobody wanted Hillary. Like, wait, you know, it's, yeah, like, wait a minute. Let me let's dial that back for a minute. I would suggest to you. That if every person in the country voted in every primary and every election we're going to have for this presidency, the outcome would be no different than if nobody did. I would put that forward. Uh, from my view, that is exactly how this is. The people that were chosen to run were chosen a long time ago. In the same way, we watched Back to the Future in the 80s echoing 9-11 decades to come and that's not the only case there's plenty of movies echoing plenty of things that are so far in advance how is it that we cannot understand that the highest positions of a supposed country are going to be handled even all the more carefully than you know some staged false flag event i completely agree with you there uh, it, it's obvious that this was a play that they that they did for us on on the global stage there's no doubt but anyhow, man, we're just past the top of the hour. Is there anything you want to throw into the first hour, or should we take a break and uh, prepare for hour two? I think that's a great stopping point, and I definitely have something I want to tackle in hour two. Okay, cool. Um, all right, guys, there it is. Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast, episode 25. This will be the hour that runs on YouTube. Uh, Jason's got quite a list here together. Uh, we will do at least an hour. I would not be surprised to see it go, go beyond. All right, Jason, we'll be back shortly. 